0: This episode comes with a content warning. This is simply to empower you, my audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. Today's episode carries a trigger warning for suicide, mental health, sexual and emotional abuse, and mentions of death. Please take care of yourself. If you need help, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. And please check the show notes for resources. Welcome to Linda's Life Lessons podcast. As a teaching professor, my students often tell me that their favorite part of class was when I chatted with them in what they called Linda's Life Lessons. I would take five or ten minutes at some point in class, not every day, and chat about things that had come up, maybe in one-on-one meetings with students in my office or a question asked in class there's pretty much nothing out of bounds. We talk about it. In these podcasts, I share tips for students and parents, helpful guidance through the college years, and a few stories along the way. We chat about situations students have found themselves in and how we navigated it. Along the way, we talk about some do's and don'ts for parents, too. Okay, let's get started. In this episode of Linda's Life Lessons Podcast, we're opening a conversation about mental health. This is a big thing for me personally, and it's a big thing for my students. I take this very seriously. I talk about this honestly in the hope that sharing my stories will help other people. When I was teaching accounting and finance and marketing and economics, I was always aware that my students were struggling with managing their stress and anxiety because they would talk to me one-on-one about it. For the past few years, I've been teaching business communications. In this class, my students write reflection papers, and they share over and over and over again about the things that make them anxious, that stress them. Hundreds of students have shared about their anxiety, stress, their mental health struggles. As a society, we lose far too many people because of their poor mental health. So, I talk about this in class. The truth is that all of this was important to me before my students started sharing their stories with me. It was important to me because of my own mental health journey, and it was important to me because of the people who were family to us who lost their battle in their mental health struggles. Honestly, it's a lot. So let's take this in pieces. There are three parts to what I'll be sharing. My own mental health challenges, the battle to fight through mental health challenges, and some of the people we've lost. And finally, those who are a support person for someone who is struggling or who has struggled with this. Let's start with some of the ones we have lost. This will likely help you understand why I have such a passion for working with and trying to make a difference for the people I coach. I am mom to three sons. My oldest and youngest are just under three and a half years apart, and there's one in the middle. It was a busy life when they were young. I was mostly a stay-at-home mom until they hit middle school. We were the kid house. There were always extra kids around, mainly boys, but there were girls around, too. This wasn't an accident. I grew up in a home where I was afraid to have friends around, maybe a story for a different day, but I wanted different for my boys, so I made sure our home was welcoming to all. My boys were so close in age that all three played together with each other and with each other's friends. It was often just a gang of kids running through the house. This was amplified when my youngest and his friends got into computer gaming. When these kids were in middle and high school, they would end up spending the entire weekend at our house. Not exaggerating here. I didn't exactly know what it meant, but we started hosting LAN parties. I still don't really understand the whole LAN party thing, but here's how it worked on my end. At about 4 p.m. on Friday, boys started arriving. One of their parents would drop them off and help them haul in their computers and their huge monitors. In those days, the monitors seemed almost as big as the boys were. Depending on where we were in the renovations of our 100-year-old home, the boys set up either in the third-floor attic or in the finished basement. Most weekends, we had around 10 additional boys. They set up their computers and played games all weekend. Some would leave for a while and come back. Many were with us the entire time. When they got tired, they would grab a quilt and go find a spot to sleep, maybe under a table, some even in the bathtub. At some point late Sunday afternoon, my husband would lose patience with the noise, the boy mess, and the boy smell, and start yelling that it was time to call their parents for them to go home. These boys were with us. They were family. They were collectively referred to as Linda's boys. For some, we were a refuge. When my youngest was a freshman, he shared with me that one of the boys, let's call him Saul, had confided in him. My son was concerned because Saul said he confided that he felt his parents were trying to get him to kill himself. There were many reasons that he felt this way. That's his story to tell, not mine. I was obviously super concerned about this, so I told my son to tell Saul that he was welcome at our home any time he wanted, any time he needed to be here. Saul took us at our word. For years, there were nights when we came home from having dinner out. My husband would say, "Thought you said the boys had to work." I would say, yeah, they are working. Well then, who's home? Who's here? We would go in, and there was Saul. Reading, watching TV, didn't matter. We were his refuge, a place where he felt safe and welcome. I share this story with you to give you an understanding of what I mean when I say these boys were, are, family. As an aside, Saul went through some very difficult times but he is currently enjoying a happy, happy life. The gang of boys did pretty well in high school. All of them went off to college. Some flourished, others struggled. There were a few who just couldn't make school work. Each had their own story, their own challenges, but a lot of it was they just couldn't figure out how to student Before my youngest son turned 21, four of these boys were gone. Death by suicide. The first to leave us was the son of our very close friends. Our families vacationed together in the summer. Joe was close with all three of my sons. He died the Monday before spring break of their sophomore year of college, shortly before he turned 20. Joe had struggled. One of his struggles was in figuring out how to be successful in college. His death changed me as a mom, as a friend, in a big way, as a college professor. Losing these boys, these friends of my son, who had a place in my heart, having this hole in my heart, missing them forever, it became a thing for me to do what I can to try to help kids figure out how to student, to try to teach them whatever I can, to share whatever I can, to encourage them as best I can, so there won't be any more families missing their children in this way. Our family's life was forever changed because of the loss of these boys. So that's one part of this story. I take mental health very seriously and not just because of what happened with my son's friends. I've had my own struggles, my own dark, dark times. I had a rough childhood. Without getting into details, I'll share this. I was abused in numerous ways. The abuse started when I was about two. Some of it stopped when I was old enough to figure out how to protect myself. Some of it didn't stop until I was much, much older. I used to refer to myself as a survivor, and I am. Now I refer to myself as a thriver. It took me a while, though, to get to the point of thriving. Along the way to thriving, I had some real mental health struggles. When I was in my 30s, I went through a deep clinical depression. I was suicidal. I am normally a high-energy person. In the depths of my depression, getting my dishwasher unloaded was a good day. I managed as best I could. I got help. In the worst times of this illness, I had plans. The voices in my head were relentless, constantly telling me that the world would be better if I wasn't in it. That everybody in my life would be better if I wasn't here. It played over and over and over, to the point that staying here hurt so bad. One tiny thing kept me here. There was a lot of death by suicide on my father's side of the family his mother, two brothers, and a cousin. It wasn't talked about much in those days, but from a very young age I had an awareness of depression and suicide. At some point along the way, Think in high school, I read an article about how messed up children get when their parent dies by suicide. That article stuck in my head. No matter how loud those voices got, and they were very, very loud, no matter how much it hurt to stay here, the thing that kept me from going through with my plans was knowing how messed up my boys would be if I gave in, if I listened to those very compelling voices. Night after night, I would stand in the boys' bedroom and cry while they were sleeping. Staying here was so painful. But something in me wouldn't let me be responsible for hurting them so deeply, for messing up the rest of their lives. So I stayed. I fought through the dark. I worked my way to better. It was not easy. I am careful every day, about protecting my mental health, about doing what I know keeps me healthy. I share this bit of my journey with you today, and along the way, I share this with my students. Why? Not so you feel bad or sorry for me. Uh Uh-uh. That's not me. I share to give you hope, because I want you to know that if you are hurting, things can get better. I want to give you hope to let you know that if you work on it, if you get some help, if you just give it time, it can get better for you. Life can get really, really good. You'll learn that it's okay to be happy, that you deserve to be happy, that on some days, because truthfully I still do have difficult days, on those days you must choose to be happy. I choose happy, not a fake happy, just a deep inner happy because I am here living a lovely, wonderful life. A life with ups and downs, to be sure, but a happy, good life. So, if you are struggling, my prayer is that this gives you hope. Hope for better. Better everything. Because you deserve it. When I deliberately chose happy, I shifted from surviving to thriving. There's a third part of this conversation. Let's talk about if you are the one who has lost the people, like my son has. Losing his close friends had a deep, deep effect on my son. After the loss of his fifth high school friend, Zach died in what we believe was an accidental overdose, I learned just how deeply these losses were affecting my son. My son isn't a big drinker. It's just never been a big deal to him. When he turned 21, he regularly went out with his friends, and he was always the designated driver. He just had no desire to drink much. After Zach's passing, the gang of Linda's boys came to town for his service. They all went out. At bar time, they went to someone's apartment and drank to the memory of their lost friends. As my son described it, it was a pretty depressing evening. He drank along with his friends. In the wee hours of the morning, he just wanted to get home to his apartment. He got behind the wheel, and he didn't make it home. He totaled my old minivan. This is a tough one. I look for blessing in these things. The blessing here is that he didn't hurt anyone and he didn't hurt himself. As strange as it seems, I ended up being grateful for this accident because I believe it saved my son. I got a call from my son at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. He was crying. Would I come and get him? He was at the police station, hadn't been arrested, but needed someone to come and get him. His father and I went to pick him up. When I got there, two police officers came out to me. We are really worried about your son. I know. I'm here to pick him up. No, we are really, really, really worried about him. I was confused. Apparently, when the police got to the accident site, my son was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, asking why all of his friends kept dying. And here's the awful part. My son blamed himself for one of his friends' death. I won't get into it because it's not my story, but hearing that he blamed himself was simply heartbreaking. So maybe you're in a position like my son. You've lost people. Perhaps you blame yourself, as he did, because on some level you feel like you should have been there for the person who died. That if you had only been there for them, they wouldn't have done what they did. If that's you, please, please hear me. This is coming from someone who has been there, who endured the darkness and came through the other side. The thing is, the truth is, I had a husband who adored me, would do anything for me. I had three beautiful young sons. I had friends who loved, accepted, and supported me. In those dark, dark, dark days, and those long, painful nights, none of that mattered. All of that love from all of those people, frankly, all of that made the pain worse. I share this with you so you understand, really understand, that if you have lost someone in this way, there is nothing you could have done to prevent it. When a person is ill in this way, the voices are very convincing. You know, you feel in your entire being that the world would be better without you. Writing these words now, saying these words now, it seems inconceivable because I'm healthy. A healthy mind doesn't think this way, doesn't feel this way. But when you're sick, your mind does think this way. Your person, your people... Maybe they're able to keep you from going through with your plan for one day, one moment. And frankly, most of us don't share that we have this plan, these intentions. But when you're ill, when you're this ill, your mind is going to make you follow through with the plan just on a different day. These are hard things for me to say, and they are probably hard to hear. My son needed to know that nothing he could have done would have prevented his friends' deaths. It was up to them. They needed to find a way to get better, to survive, and eventually thrive. It took a long time before my son stopped blaming himself. He nearly lost his life, getting to a point where he was able to stop the blame. Please, please, if you have lost someone to suicide, find someone to talk to. I am not a trained counselor. I share this long story, this journey, only because I want to help. I want to help people who are suffering to know that they can get to better. I want people who are left behind to know that they couldn't have changed what happened. That their loved one was sick with a terrible, terrible illness. But your loved one's death is not your fault. This hasn't been an easy conversation for me. It's much easier to talk about schedules and going to class and such, and it's probably much easier to listen to that, too. I have a deep conviction that I am here to help people get to better. Better moments, better days, better lives. I also believe that healing comes when we shine the light on what's happening. We lose too many people to mental illness. My prayer, my hope, is that by being open about all of this, my open conversation finds its way to the people who need to hear it. If your life hasn't been touched in this way, you have much to be grateful for. Never take that for granted. For the rest of us, those of us whose lives will never be the same because of our own struggles or because we are missing the people whose lives were claimed by mental illness, we must band together. We must talk to each other. We must work together to help each other to better days. They really, really are possible. I hope you have found value in this honest and somewhat raw chat about mental health. I promise the next episodes will be a bit lighter. I'll be sharing some of the things that I do that help me reduce stress and that have resonated with my students. Stick with me. We're on a journey of moving to being better, to living better. We're just getting started in these lessons, so stay tuned. If you want to hear more from me, please subscribe to my weekly newsletter by clicking the newsletter link in the show notes. If you feel like you need help making changes in what you're doing and would like me to work with you one-on-one, click on the coaching link in the show notes. If my schedule's full, get on the wait list, and I'll be in touch as soon as I have another opening. May I ask a favor? If you found today's chat meaningful, please subscribe to the Linda's Life Lessons podcast and tell your friends about me. Take a moment to write a review. Connect with me on Instagram or Facebook, and be sure to check out the show notes. Thank you for being here. When I'm teaching, I end the week of classes with this message that I will now leave with you, my friend have a lovely fantastic and fun weekend and please come back to me safely see you next time